0: Holy Spirit, we come to hear a word from you. Uh, Lord, I pray that my words would be a conduit of your word and that you would open up our hearts and mind to understand what it is you have to say to us this morning. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So, Daisy and Laura got to go to the Brookfield Zoo this week and I wasn't able to attend with them. I had to do some other things, so I, I, I was sad to miss out because I, zoos are great. I love the zoo. Does anybody love the zoo here? Everybody love the zoo? We got some zoo fans in the house. Uh, zoo is awesome. Love seeing all those majestic animals, those amazing, you know, the traps and the, the bears and the tigers and the lions, and it's, it's amazing that you get to see these things so up close, and uh, so I was excited to get the report back from Daisy because she's starting to say kind of two or three word sentences, and you can, she can kind of tell, tell me what happened, and and so I'm, I'm looking forward to her to tell me about the zoo. And, and so she gets back, and we ask Daisy, you know, Daisy, who, who did you see at the zoo? What did you see at the zoo? And she pauses, and she's thinking about it, and she says, goats, goats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, great, I'm glad you saw the goats. <laughs> uh, and then later she told me how the gorilla fell, and the gorilla was funny, and it was, it was this really great thing. But, you know, when it comes to the zoo, I'm, I'm a little conflicted, uh, you know, because... Call me, call me a sap, call me, call me a, little, a little sad, but I'm a little sad for the animals. I'm a little sad that they're in a cage sometimes. I think about the birds, you know, and it's like a bird that's like, they're meant to like fly above the sky, but all they, all they know is this, is this little cage. And they're, they're totally ignorant of what it would be like to be free from the cage. And day after day, they wake up in this cage that just confines them to this reality. And whether we realize it or not, that is what is true of us in humanity. Day after day, we wake up in a cage, ignorant of what life could truly be like if we were set free from the sins that hold us back. Today we're talking about the redemption that Christ offers to us, setting us free from the cage that we are born into. Because most people, they might get by okay in the cage, but but most of us realize something's not quite right. I was made for more than this. There's something more to this life that I was meant to live. And the Bible describes us, this, this state that we're in, is that we're in slavery to sin, to ourselves, to Satan, and to death. And we're not even fully aware that this is the case. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me right now to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, that passage today. And in verse 14, Peter says, As obedient children do not conform... To the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You see, in other words, you didn't even know that you were in this cage. You were unaware. And you see, the reality is we all have these desires within us. We all desire things. We want things. And, and most people just think that's kind of your instinct. That's what you're supposed to do. Follow your desires. Or in the adage of today, just, just follow your heart. Trust your gut. But, our, but what people don't realize is that our hearts are full of evil desires that bring destruction in our lives. Our hearts are full of envy and greed and lust and selfishness and sloth and all kinds of things. And what happens is we just become like animals, obeying our instincts, and we're, we're caged by that. Like a bad drug, we're tricked into thinking that life will be more fulfilling in sin, but it's actually the opposite. We end up feeling empty and guilty and full of shame, And the very thing that we thought would bring us life is now what is enslaving us now. That is what happens when we become enslaved to sin. Peter calls it in verse 18, the empty way of life. So we're in our series on the cross and we're talking about how Christ is our Redeemer. How does the cross set us free from this empty way of life? How does the cross set us free from sin that keeps us in this cage? And what does it mean to say Christ is our Redeemer? And now before I can get into any of the main points of my sermon or the text today, I need to set a little bit of context. Now, the word redeem has a lot of meanings in our culture, and not all of them are biblical meanings, but I, this is one definition from Merriam-Webster that I think is what the Bible is getting at. And it means to free from captivity by payment of ransom. So in other words, when, when someone is taken hostage, you know, the, people who, the, the, the captors will set a price, and that price is called the ransom price. And so to get the people out of captivity, you have to pay the ransom to free them from the hostages. So that's kind of what the meaning of that word is. That's kind of the language we're dealing with here. But every good Jew would know what redemption meant. Every good Jew would know what redemption meant because the Jews, they rehearsed the stories of God over and over. In fact, every year they would rehearse the biggest story of redemption that they had ever known. And that story was the story of Passover. Passover. Because this was a story of how God had redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt so that they could be his holy people in the world. Let me give you one example from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. It says, It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So every Jew would know Yes, God is our redeemer because he has redeemed us out of the slavery that we were in back in Egypt and he did it at Passover. So fast forward to Jesus who is launching this kingdom movement and toward the end of his life, everything is heading towards this cross and it's getting closer and closer and do you know what his last supper takes place when? At Passover. At Passover, how interesting is that? Friends, I cannot emphasize enough How important it is to understand that the cross and the resurrection happened at Passover. Because that is the lens from which we need to see what is going on in the story. Let me give you a hypothetical that maybe might help you understand this. Let's say, hypothetically, that the South wanted to become their own nation again. They wanted to revolt against the North. And uh, they said, and they're getting in their their meeting, and they say, okay, well, what day should we declare this, this war against the North? What day should we revolt and they might say, well, maybe we could do New Year's Day. And that would kind of send the signal that, hey, we need a new start. It's a new year. It's a new time. It's a new season. And would kind of give, that would give the meaning to what they were doing. Or maybe they would say, oh, let's do, let's do Cinco de Mayo. And now all of a sudden you think, well, hold on. Is, is Mexico joining with them? Is, this, is the, the South of Mexico teaming up? I mean, that would give you a totally different meaning if they chose that day. And if they chose July 4th, the meaning would be absolutely clear. We are declaring a revolution. We are declaring our independence just like it happened in 1776. Don't each of those days, doesn't the day that they choose determine the meaning they give to their movement? And the same is true with Jesus and Passover. Because see, Jesus, he had different options. There's all kinds of Jewish holidays and festivals and things going on. It could have been tabernacles. I think most Christians would presume, they would think that Jesus would have chosen what we talked about last week, the Day of Atonement, where the sacrifices were made for the sins of the whole people. But interestingly, Jesus did not choose that day. Because the fact that Jesus was crucified and rose again during Passover means there's there's a whole lot more going on. And it should reorient everything that most Christians think about when they think about the cross. Because it's much, much bigger than just a sacrifice for sin. Certainly it includes that. That's part of it. But it's a, a more cosmic, expansive story of how God is redeeming the world. Because the cross happened at Passover. The cross is primarily about redemption. Because it happened on Passover, it's about redemption. It's a rescue operation. It is God redeeming his people from the land of slavery and the power of sin. So that is the context for what we're dealing with this morning. So what does it mean to say Christ Redeems us. That's what I want to dive into. Number one, Christ redeems us from slavery to sin. Christ redeems us from slavery to sin. Verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 1. You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So in other words, just like the Israelites were redeemed from their slavery in Egypt, we are redeemed from slavery to an empty way of life in sin. And so what we all need to really understand, sin is not just a bad thing we do. Sin is a powerful force. It's not just a bad thing we do. It's a force. It is a power in the world. And I can only help but think about the dark side in Star Wars. And I'm Matthias, and you might need to correct me if if I'm wrong here, but what I can tell from in the movies, that the dark side has this mysterious power. That when people begin to contemplate it, when they begin to give themselves over, over to it and they give in to the dark side, it gains a stronger foothold in their life. It gains a power over them in their life. And all of a sudden, you're Darth Vader. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. He gives himself over to the dark side. Before you know it, it's mastered you. It's taken over. And I, I want to give you an example of how this works in Scripture. Genesis 4, chapter 7. God warns Cain. He says, sin is Crouching at your door, it desires to have you. Sin lurks. It crouches. It desires to overtake you and to rule our lives. And when we give into it, when we let it in our lives, it, gets, it gains greater power. It gets a greater foothold in our lives. And Paul says it this way in Romans 6. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one you obey?" Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, if we offer ourselves to sin, it gains a power, and we're enslaved to that, that power. You know, growing up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you get used to, uh, to swimming in Lake Michigan. And uh, it's, a, it's a great thing to do in the summer. And, um, you know, and occasionally, the, the waves would get really big, uh, and, and it would be fun to go out there. But my mom would always warn me, you have to be careful of... This force called the undertow, because the undertow is—it's the force of the waves dragging you out further into the lake, and it can get so powerful that before you know it, you're out—you're way out in the middle of the lake, and you could drown. And honestly, as a kid, I was a little annoyed at my mom. Can you believe that that would happen? I was a little annoyed because I did—I wanted to go out into the waves. I want—I thought it was a dumb rule because it would be fun. But the reality was, if the undertow was strong that day, I could get dragged away to my death. You see, God's laws, they're not just dumb rules. They protect us from the power of sin that drags you away from God and leads to our spiritual death apart from God. There's a famous quote that says, Sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to say, and cost you more than you want to pay. We become slaves of sin when we offer ourselves to sin. And, and just like the Hebrew slaves, we're born into it. We are born into this state. And we weren't taught differently. We weren't taught a different way of life. Many people are told this is just normal. Like the, the animals at the zoo, this is reality. This is how it is. And this is what Peter says in verse 18. He says, This way of life was handed down to you from your ancestors. You see, because the people Peter was writing to were Gentiles. And they were taught to worship idols. Things that weren't really gods. And they were taught to follow just their evil desires. That that was normal. That that was a part of life. That you should just do that. And the reality is we too are also handed down a way of life from our communities. From our culture. You know, because what culture you live in, what context you live in, it's going to get down into you in a deep way. It tell, Your culture tells you what success looks like, what you should value, how you should spend your time and money. And, it's, and it so gets into our minds. It's, it's, it, the danger is it's so invisible. It's like a fish swimming in water. You know, they don't even know it's there. That's how culture is uh, in our lives. And much of what our culture teaches us will enslave us in an empty way of life. Our culture teaches us that money and success are the most important things. That your individual dreams are more important than anything else. That success is a certain paycheck, a certain house, a certain car. We have a tradition, a culture that's handed down to us about how life, marriage, family, work, money, and retirement should all look and be and feel. And I thank God that many Christians are beginning to see that the the culture, the way of life that's been handed down to us this narrative of American dream, this narrative of materialism, is we're beginning to see that, yes, that is an empty way of life. Because many people just do what their culture has taught them to do. They haven't evaluated the way of life according to the word of God. And it drags them away to slavery. And not only are we handed a way of life from our culture, we're also handed a way of life by our families. You know, much of our core beliefs, our values, how we see life is determined by the families that we grow up in. And, Modern counseling knows this. Dan Dilber, am I right? Amen. Counselors will talk about what they call family of origin issues. If you take premarital counseling with me, we will talk about how your, your family upbringing, the ac- expectations that you bring about marriage, about family, about how all of this should work, we're going to talk about that because you're going to bring in all of these expectations that need to be untangled. And all the married people said, amen. <laughs> it's true. Our families hand us a way of life. And a lot of it's good, and a lot of it is bad. And we have to work through that. But many people, they're stuck into what their family passed on to them. And people will just admit this. They say, well, it's just how I was raised. It's how I grew up. It's the tradition that was handed to me. As if that closes the conversation. As if no transformation is possible. Friends, our world is in dire need of the hope of redemption through Jesus Christ. Because through the cross, the power of sin has been broken. Not just our sins were crucified at the cross, the very power of sin was crucified also. And it no longer has the power that it had. The cage we've been born into is unlocked. The broken way of life, all the things, all the junk that you've grown up in and, and brought with you, it can all be redeemed by Jesus Christ. You are redeemed in Christ by what your culture has taught you to do. You are redeemed from the family of origin issues that have been passed on to you. Nothing in this world, in tradition, and culture, in your family, in your mind, in your heart, or your personality can hold you back from the redeemed life that we have in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus said, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is the promise of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we are perfect, but it does mean that redemption and victory are possible because that's why Jesus died to redeem us from the slavery to sin that dominates our lives. Redemption is available. So, Christ, through the cross, he redeems us from our slavery to sin. And secondly, Christ redeems us by his blood. Verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now remember, we're dealing with this concept of redeem that that means to free from captivity by payment of a ransom. So in other words, God buys our freedom, he buys us out of slavery with the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Let me just give you a few examples from Scripture. I'm going to give them to you real quick. Ephesians 1.7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Revelation 1.5. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. And 1 Corinthians 6.20. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. God paid the price of His Son to buy us out of slavery to sin. And Peter says, you know what? Man, they buy things, they barter with silver and gold. And the reality is that's the stuff. It's all just perishable. It's all earthly stuff. It's not going to last. It really has no value other than what man gives to it. it has no value in eternity. So how could something so inconsequential pay for your redemption? No, no, no. You are way too valuable to be bought with gold and silver. It's not, there's no amount of money that could buy you out of slavery. So he redeems us, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And it says, a lamb without, ble- uh, a lamb without blemish or defect. And you're thinking, wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. A lamb without blemish or defect? Huh. We're talking about Passover again. We're talking about Passover again. It reminds us of the Passover lamb who was without blemish or defect, who was, sa- who was sacrificed and killed, and the blood was put over the doorposts that protected the families from the judgment of God, and that was the final straw for Pharaoh, right? That was the final thing, the final plague, that set them free, and he let the people go. So the blood of the lamb sets them free, doesn't it? Finally, they are redeemed, finally. And this time around, it's not a literal lamb, it's the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And friends, this should remind us all of how valuable We are in the sight of God. How valuable we are. There's a story of uh, a young boy who lived in New England seaport, and he loved to watch the boats come by. He loved to watch the boats to see their daily catch. And one day he decides to build a little sailboat all his own. And he worked for weeks, every day, making this boat and making sure all the details were just right. And finally the big day arrived. He went down to the shore to proudly place his own boat in the water. And all of a sudden, as he's kind of standing there triumphantly watching his boat next to the other ones, he suddenly suddenly notices the wind picks up. And before he has a chance to get there, he sees his boat drifting away. And he wants to run after it, but he can't. It's too late. The boat is gone from his sight. And the little boy was so heartbroken, Because he spent so much time making that boat. And the little boy came back every day for a month. He would walk down to the shoreline and look around. Where is my boat? He wanted that boat back so bad. And finally, one day in the market, he saw his boat unexpectedly in a store window. And so he excitedly ran into the store and he tells the the woman at the desk he says, Ma'am, ma'am, this is this is my boat. I made this boat. And he kept pleading and pleading with her and, and all she could say was, I'm sorry, I don't know about this being your boat, but this boat costs $2. And the little boy protested, no, you, you, you don't understand, this is my boat. And he kept protesting, but to, again, to no avail, the boat costs $2. So he reaches into his pocket and scrounges up how much money he can get and he gets, finds $2 and he pays to get his own boat back. And as he's... As he's leaving the store, he's clutching the boat in his hands. And he says to the little boat, he says, Little boat, you are twice mine. You are mine because I made you, and you're mine because I bought you. Friends, this is what God says to each one of us. Little son, little daughter, you are mine. You are mine because I made you, and you are mine because I bought you. And he rejoices over you with singing. His compassion, his love is so stirred up towards you because he made you, because he bought you. You are his. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and there is nothing in this world, no power of hell, no power of sin, no power of anything that can take you out of his hands. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. You are mine because I made you, because I bought you. So Christ, he redeems us by his blood that he paid on the cross. The last point I want to make this morning is Christ redeems us for holiness. He redeems us for holiness. Now, we've been working backwards a little bit it's because the start of this passage, Peter is encouraging the people to pursue holiness, to be holy. In fact, he's commanding it. Verses 14, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Peter is saying, you're, you're children of God. And children are supposed to imitate the parents. We're children of our Heavenly Father, and He is holy, so therefore we should imitate His holiness. You know, I think most Americans think of being free, or the word freedom or redemption, kind of that whole concept. They think about it as, as just a good unto itself, that, that just being free is the end goal. You know, you, you think about the 1776, we're going to declare independence. Because the worst, thing is, the worst thing in life could be is someone else telling you what to do. You know, and, so we, and so we have this idea that freedom is the ultimate good. And because we're Americans, when we think about freedom and redemption, we transport that thinking into the Bible. And that is fundamentally wrong. Because that is not the Bible's vision of freedom. That is not the Bible's vision of redemption. That is not why God has freed us. You know, God sets us free so that we can live how we were created to be. You know, it's not as if, you know, God sets the people free in Egypt and he says, all right, go on now, go do whatever you want, go be free. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He gives them the law and he says, you're going to be a special people. You're going to be my kingdom of priests. You're going to live a holy life so that you can be different and stand out in the world. Exodus 19.6, he says this, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel was supposed to be different. They were supposed to stand out and represent God to the world to do what they were created to do. And Peter is picking up on this theme. He's talking about the Exodus. He's talking about Passover. And he says to them, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's quoting the same story, isn't he? You're God's special possession. So what's happening is in the story is Passover leads to priesthood for the world. Or let, me, let me put it differently. Pat, er, redemption leads to mission. Redemption leads to mission for God in the world. To be his priest, to represent him in the world, to be different, to be set apart, to be holy. So we're redeemed from the power of sin so that we can live holy lives in the world. So in other words, holiness is missional. Holiness is missional. It's for the sake of the watching world. Previously, in in, in chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, he says, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from the sinful desires we've been set free from them, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That means holiness is part of our outreach strategy. Holiness is is part of our outreach, It's part of our mission. That means we must be different. It means we must keep growing more and more like Jesus as his disciples. And everywhere we go, we have to remember, we represent the Lord. We represent Jesus Christ. And we have have to ask ourselves, are we giving Jesus a good reputation? Are we giving Jesus a good reputation in the community? Do we allow sin just a, a little leeway in our lives? How are we doing with the deadly sins? Lost in gluttony and sloth, envy, anger and greed and pride. Are we willing to pursue holiness, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world? And that means holiness isn't just a private thing that we do. It's not just between us and God. Actually, holiness is for the watching world. And that means that we must have relationships with the watching world. Because our holiness can't make a difference unless they can see it unless they can know you, unless they can see our behavior. And so that means we do need to be building relationships in the community, doing things that are outside the walls of this church so that people can see that we are God's holy people, that we're not perfect, but that we are set apart and different because God has transformed our lives. So let me recap. Christ redeems us from slavery to sin. He redeems us by his blood. And he redeems us for holiness. So let me ask you, what sin are you still holding on to even though Christ has set you free? What has been handed down to you that you need to be set free from? Is it something in our culture? Is it something you learned from the family you grew up in? Is it something in your personality even? What do you need Christ to redeem you from? Also, I want to ask, where are you getting your identity from? Where are you getting your value? Do you know that you are His because He made you, because He bought you? Do you have the security that you need in Christ because of what He's done? And final final question, are you living a lifestyle that is worthy of the price that Christ paid to buy you back? Are we representing Him Are we giving him a good reputation to the people around us? Because that's what we're called to do. Friends, Christ has unlocked the cage of sin and death. You are now set free to go into the world. You're sent out in the power of the Spirit to be free and to declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. May Christ redeem you from sin, by his blood, and for a missional holiness in the world. Amen.